Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given by Tom Job on Sunday morning, June 4th, 2023, from the book of Revelation. Why don't you reach you guys out of... Uh, Last week I was telling you guys that I've I found this book that um, has helped me a lot with anxiety. That I don't know I don't I don't know if any of y'all ever deal with it, but some of us do. And I found a book that's really proven helpful to me. And I just wanted to share for the next few weeks just insight that I've gotten from it. And the book is um, it's the last book of the New Testament. It's the book of Revelation. People living in super, super anxious producing times, and it's full of reasons why not to be. So this is from Revelation chapter 12. Um, In verse seven, it said, and a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he wasn't strong enough and they lost their place in heaven and the great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who led the whole world astray. And he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Anybody feeling less anxious right now? But anyway, he said, and then they heard, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And they overcame, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and that they loved not their life unto death. Lord God, I ask you for those of us who do struggle with this, I ask you to get, like there's a few things that I know in my heart that I want to get into my mind and heart. There are words that I want to find a home there, that they might live there. Help us to understand this, your holy and beautiful word in your precious name, amen. So um, like when, so when kind of down through history, when people, when people have been living in kind of more anxious times, and they've often turned to the book of Revelation and they've tried to find in it indications of what's gonna happen next because it would help me to know. And there was, so there was, a, there was a farmer in Vermont named William Miller. He fought in the War of 1812. And in eight, he was just kind of a quiet, sullen, kind of gruff looking guy. And he accepted Jesus in 1816 and he started to study the Bible a lot. And um, he started to study the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. And he discovered some things. There's a place in Daniel, Daniel chapter 8 that it's kind of a, it's a prophecy that said from that day, it's going to be 2,300 days until the cleansing of the temple. And he figured out when it says days, 
it must mean years, whatever. And when it said cleansing the temple, it must be talking about the earth. And so this must have been, it must have been a prediction of when Jesus is gonna come back and take over the earth. And there was an Irish bishop who said that that prophecy was made in 457. And so he figured out that Jesus was going to come to our world for the second time somewhere between March 21st, 1843 and March 21st, 1844. And he started to kind of talk about it a little bit and he was invited to churches and places and he wound up talking about, he found that he was pretty good at talking about this stuff. And he met another pastor who was one of those guys who could, was, could really get a crowd going and he kind of became his promoter and they, and they bought the biggest tent that existed in America. And they started going all over the place telling everybody that they needed to get ready because between March the 21st, 1843 and March the 21st, 1844, it was, Jesus was really, really gonna come back again. And so, and a lot of tons, there was a, a certain point, a six month period, they would go around and give the, and talk about this thing, but there was one six month period where this farmer Miller gave that lecture 300 times in six months. And there were over 50,000 people who were, had become what they called Millerites and had really become followers. Of, and they were really, really waiting for Jesus to come back. And east of the Rocky Mountains, it was a gigantic thing. And there were millions of people who were following this. And one of the main reasons that one thing that really threw a lot of kerosene on it was the fact that in 1839, there was a financial crisis. And people were just afraid that their world was going to come apart. And so in newspapers across the east, they would put these prophetic charts of when everything was going to happen right beside the stock market report so people could kind of know what to be ready for and and um, so between March 21st and 1843 and March 21st 1844 when they advertised these lectures they would say that he would give his lecture at on Monday night at 7 p.m. if time continues and so so on March 21st 1844 people had sold their stuff I mean, I'm not really sure why they sold it, but instead of just giving it away, but, um, and gone up on a hill in upper New York State and waited for something that didn't happen. And then, um, so some other people went and recalculated and they said, we've missed this by seven months and 10 days. It's gonna be October 22nd, who knew? And then when that day came and went, it was just called the great, the great disappointment and on, his, on William Miller's gravestone, it's, it quotes the verse from Matthew 24 that says, no one knows the day or the hour, right? <laughs> so do you remember, so like when people get anxious, they start to think about this stuff. Do you remember Y2K? Do y'all remember that? It was like January, January 1st, 2000. I mean, and you thought people were freaked then. One, people were super freaked at Y1K when it was January 1st, 1000, because they had believed that the same Irish bishop is the one, he's the one who dated, he said the world was created on October 23rd, 4004 BC. 
And so this was going to be like the fifth 5,000 anniversary. And so Jesus was going to come back on January 1st, 1,000. St. Peter's Basilica was packed with people who were so afraid and freaked out. And they spent that New Year's Eve on their faces, worshiping and trembling and waiting for the second coming. And then it came and the ball dropped and nothing happened and it came and went. And so they all got home and walked home, except some people who had actually died of fright on the floor of St. Peter's Basilica. So I remember when um, the first sermon that I ever gave in, um, the first sermon I ever gave was in 19... I hadn't been a Christian that long. It was in 1979, I think, on the Sunday night service of a church that I went to. And my sermon was on 23 reasons why I believe in the pre-tribulational rapture and that Jesus is gonna come and snatch us out of this world before it all gets bad. And I was so nervous, including a joke. I gave all 23 reasons in seven minutes. And so it was more than seven, more than three, more than three reasons per minute. I probably sound like a tobacco auctioneer, but I, and I think, you know, and I, I would love to know what I said back then because so much, I don't really know what I would think of it. I don't really know what I would think of any of the reasons and where because a lot of times it was just a lot of scriptures cobbled together sometimes to make the scripture say what it didn't really say and I feel like some I feel like um, I remember one pastor that I used to love and he said I wish that I knew as much about biblical prophecy as I used to know you know what I mean because but I do think that we live in a time where there's probably more anxiety just among us than there ever has been. And I mean, sometimes, and sometimes I just think a lot of it is the way people talk about things. Like, so I kind of have a tradition. I guess I got it from my dad. Like before I go out in the morning, we'll always kind of turn the Today Show on and, you know, just see what's happening in the world, you know? And it always starts out anymore, like breaking overnight, breaking overnight. Everything is breaking overnight. And it's like, Savannah, how am I supposed to sleep? I don't know what's going to break tonight, you know? And it's just like, and then Al Roker gets up there and he starts talking about, and I'm like, he starts talking about a line of thunderstorms coming across the Midwest and 32 million people are at risk. And I'm like, really, Al? At risk? Why don't you just go, well, what are we at risk of, Al? Why don't you just, like, tell us? And when my dad, when I was a kid, and my dad would watch the Today Show, the, the host of the Today Show was a guy named Dave Garraway. He was a very peaceful person. And lots of days, the co-host was literally a chimpanzee that he used to have on there. And when they would do the weather, it was on a chalkboard. And if the sun was out, it would have a smiley face or a cloud with a frowny face, you know? And it's like, that's what I'm talking about. So... But anyway, but you know, you just think about, um, I, you know, I just, it just, it feels to me like um, growing up as a Christian, the only thing, you know, I, I didn't accept Jesus till I was 20, and I started to hear things that I had never heard before. 
And it seemed like all everybody thought about is, when are we gonna get out of here? Like, when are we gonna get out of this world? When do we get to just go, you know, because especially if it gets difficult, and then you read the New Testament and you realize that's not really the heart of what it's saying to us, like in the book of Hebrews, who were people that because they had accepted Jesus as their savior, a lot of things in their life had been wonderful, but a lot of things in their life had become much more difficult. And the message to them is you have a race to run. You need to be able to run it all the way to the end. And the book of Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to people whose life had become more difficult because they had believed in Jesus as their savior. And he says in chapter one, if you get to suffer because of your faith in Jesus, this is a gift from God. And in the book of Revelation, which is a book written to people who were having a much more difficult life than we were and having many more um, reasons to be anxious than we have. And the consistent message of that book is what you need to think about is how you can be an overcomer. And the word overcomer, to overcome, it comes from the Greek, it's the Greek word nikao, where we get the word Nike. And it just means how to win, how to be a winner, how to be victorious in an anxious world, how to be a person who knows how to win over anxiety. And I think about the world they lived in and how much more difficult it was than our world. And on Thursday, I'm going to have surgery for a hernia. And I think, like Jesus' stepdad Joseph, what if that had happened to him? Like, what if he was like 34 years old? I mean, because a carpenter was really more of um, a home builder. You know, it was, a, it was a, a heavier job than it sounds. And what, if, what, if, what would happen if all of a sudden your, your intestine started to bolts through the stomach wall of your stomach? I mean, what would you do? That, what would you do? It's going to take 30 minutes and it's going to be a piece of cake. What if, they did, what if you didn't have that procedure? I remember a few years ago, I slipped on some leaves and I broke the top of my kneecap off. I mean, and so they screwed it together like my right knee is screwed together. What if Joseph at 33 had slipped on some leaves and broke his kneecap in two. What if they had said, I mean, we haven't invented screws yet, but I, you know, we do that peg thing. Maybe we could peg that thing together, but they didn't have anesthesia. Like, what? Okay, could you bite this stick and take a slug of whiskey? You know, it's like, I don't know. What if you didn't have anesthesia? I've been filling out all these medical forms you have to fill out, and they always ask the question, I'm waiting for it to come. Are you a smoker? No. Were you ever a smoker? Yeah. Yes, how, many did, how much did you smoke? Let's just say three or four a day. When did you quit? 1977. Now, what does a brother got to do to put something behind him? Like, what if you lived in a world where there was no forgiveness for any, I might have had a slip or two in 1978, but please give me a break. And you know, Jesus said, don't have any anxiety. Don't be, don't be anxious about anything. Don't even think about 
tomorrow. Don't even think about food. And they were like subsistent farming. You know what I mean? And it's like, how are they not going to think about that? He told a story one time about a farmer who sowed seed and it only grew on 25% of the soil. And he said, don't even worry about it. Don't even think about it. And the, and like in the book of Revelation, it was, uh, it was written to people who, um, so they had accepted Jesus as their king, and many of them had been rejected by their families. Many of them had lost their jobs because they were unable to work for trade unions that were devoted to the patron god of some pagan thing, and they just couldn't do it. And because Jesus was their king, they had become, these little groups of people had become a major threat to a cruel empire which could not permit anyone to have a loyalty above the one that they said was the king of everything. And this was a book that was written to tell them how to be victorious in the battle against anxiety. The anxiety that they had, it seems to me, like every right to feel. And in chapter 12 and verse 11, there is a place where he gives three beautiful secrets to how to be a winner. Like a, like a lot of us, hang, you know, a lot of us have anxiety because of things that have happened to us when we were kids. A lot of us have anxiety because for some reason, and maybe after a lot of wear and tear, it's become a brain thing. And I, I, and I think that if, if, it's, if, a, if a person needs help, to help their brain think better. There's so, so much help available. If a person needs help because they have kidney problems, there's medicine for that. And if a person needs help because their brain just isn't working right because it's been kicked around so much because of things that they've been through, there's so, so much help for that. And it's so good to get it. But sometimes there are just things that we also, having done all of that, there's things that we need to know and get to settle in our heart. And it would help us to be winners against anxiety that so many of us feel. And there's one that says that they overcame, they, they became winners in the battle against anxiety by the blood of the Lamb. And when you think about the message that we believe, that Almighty God became a human being with the heart of a lamb to give himself. There's a place in Philippians chapter two that says that it says Jesus, even though he was in the form of God, even though he was almighty God in all of his glory, gave that up to become a humble human being. Even though he was God in his glory, he did it. The Greek word for even though is a word that could also be translated since, since he was the God that he is with the heart that he had, the heart of a lamb, he became a humble servant to give himself for us. And because he did it, when you trust in him, I mean, just think about this. Like when you trust in Jesus, you're completely forgiven of everything you've ever done, do, or will do in a second. And what that tells you is that when you do go through a hard thing or, or, or everybody's going through a hard thing, you can know in your heart I'm not being paid back for anything. This is not payback for anything 
I have ever done because I am completely forgiven of everything I've ever done, do, or will do. There's a verse that I love in 1 John chapter 4. In verse 17, it says, there is no fear in love. There's no anxiety in love because perfect love casts out fear. And then he gives this astounding psychological insight where he said, fear has to do with when people have like kind of a constant low grade fear or they have anxieties about things. He said, fear has to do with punishment. Like the reason that a person might feel anxious is because I just have a feeling that something bad should happen to me. Like why, what did, I, what did you do? I don't know, all of it, it just, I don't know. Well, what's gonna happen to you? I don't know, I don't know, but I just kind of have a low-grade feeling that I deserve bad things to happen to me because I've just kind of been me the whole time. And the message that we believe and the message that we love is a message that tells me that is not true that I have been completely forgiven of everything I've ever done, do, or will do, and I can expect good things to happen to me. And if bad things do happen to me, I don't know why, but it's not because I'm being punished, and I can know that good things are gonna come out of it, and also because of that, and also because I've believed in him, I have become a child of God, and God has become my dad, and I have a Dad, Paul says in Philippians chapter four, don't be anxious for everything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the word for prayer is a word that comes from the word to wish. I can have a wish list. Supplication, that's a big, heavy word, but it really comes from the word to want something. I can have a wish list. I can have a want list. I can go to my dad and tell him that. You know what I wish I had today? You know what I wanna have today? I mean, he may or may not give it to me, but to think that I have a dad in heaven where I can give him my wish list and I can give him my want list and I, all I have to do is be a kid down here. I get to be a kid again. And you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, I never had a dad like that or I didn't know my dad. I, I, and some people might have had a relationship with your dad that was rough, but You know what you would have wanted to have? There's a place in everybody's heart where they know they wish they had. There was a, a, I was reading about a middle school teacher and she asked her kids, the kids in her class, this was like in the 80s and they were having a local newspaper contest of, you know, why my dad's the best. And she said, okay, why don't you write an essay on why my dad's the best? And there was a girl that came up afterwards with tears in her eyes and her name was Julie. And she said, I can't write about this. And she said, why not? She said, my dad's dead. My dad died when I was a baby. And I've, only, I've had four stepdads. They've all been abusive to me and the new boys friend is living in my house. I'm not doing it. And she said, why don't you write about the dad that your dad would have been? The dad you wish you had, and she did. And just about the, the way he cared about her and the way they had jokes together and they did stuff together. And she said, of dad, of all the dads in the world, you're the absolute best. And it, the teacher said it kind of triggered her a little bit because her dad had died when she, and she had wrestled with this too her, her life because her dad died when she was a baby and she never knew her dad. And she always felt like something was missing. And one evening she was talking to her husband and their little boy was standing on the counter of their kitchen. And all of a sudden he said, dad, catch him. Dad turned around and this kid jumped. And the dad just caught him and swung him around. And she said, that's what I missed. 
that's what I want, you know? Ah, so I have a dad and I get to be a kid and I have a savior. And it says in the book of Hebrews that he helps me, that I have someone to help me. I, don't you sometimes feel like, I wish, I wish, I wish I had someone who knows what it's like to be me, who knows what it's like to be here, and I can just ask him to help me. And the message of the book of Hebrews is that, that Jesus is our great high priest, which is just a big way of saying, my heavenly helper and friend. And it says in chapter eight, the point of everything I'm saying to you is this, you have him. So in chapter four, he says, because Jesus is your heavenly helper and your heavenly friend, you can go to the throne of grace and say whatever you want, and you're gonna find mercy and grace to help in time of need, and in Greek, it's, it's the word, word well-timed, and help is a word that comes from the word to run and the word to yell. It's like if you need urgent care, help me, I need urgent care, you have a friend in heaven who will help you. And I just, I just love him. Don't, I mean, don't you love him? Like when you think about what had to happen for those things to be true of you, for you to know in your heart that you're completely forgiven of everything, that God is your dad, you can call him daddy, it says in the book of Romans chapter eight, and that Jesus is a friend who loves you and your best friend, and you can call on him and help you. I mean, when you think about what had to happen, that almighty God the Father sent almighty God the Son to bear all, I mean, we know this, but I mean, just think about it. To bear, as the New Testament, bear my sin. What does that mean? It just means to pay the debt that I owed to bear the wrong that I did. There's a certain place, I'm trying to understand that the best I can, that when Jesus was nailed to that cross in that horrible way, he was paying for what I did. And I, th I think about the fact that what I deserved was to be separated from God forever, that Almighty God the Son was separated in an incomprehensible compression of eternity into three hours of global darkness, was separated from Almighty God the Father. How could that be? How could it possibly be? And I think that's where we reach the point that we can go no further. This is, I think that's why it was dark in the entire world, because nobody was supposed to look at it because we could never fully understand it. I don't know if we'll ever fully understand how that happened, which means we'll never fully understand the depths of how much God loved us. But all I know is the pain, the rejection, the shame of it was mine. And because of that, I'm clean and I'm loved. And I'm becoming the me that I was always supposed to be, but I never have been and never could have been that if he didn't do that for me. And I love him.
Like there, there's a place in Luke chapter seven where there was a room full of people and there was a woman who just loved Jesus because of what she understood about those things. And, and she was the only one who did. And if I was in a room full of people and only one person loved him, I would want it to be me. And there's a place in chapter, Luke chapter 17 where there was a guy with the, the people in his life and he was the only one that fell down and thanked Jesus. And if I was in a with people that were people in my life and there was only one person who worshiped and thanked Jesus, I wouldn't want it to be me. There's a place in chapter 19 where there was this guy who said, I'm giving all my half my money away because it's my way of saying to Jesus, you have won my heart. He was the only one in an entire city that felt that way. And if there was only one person in the city that felt that way, I would want it to be me. I would want to be a person who feels like I love him. I thank him. I give my life to him. Love has won my heart. Love has claimed my heart. The only thing really that matters to me, like Paul said, nothing really matters to me now. Things don't matter to me. Stuff doesn't matter to me. The only thing that really matters to me now is loving him back and coming to know him better. And I just don't care about stuff anymore. And if, if I die, I, it's just going to be with him. I remember a pastor, a Romanian pastor, who was arrested under Ceausescu in the dictatorship of, in the dictatorship of uh, his dictatorship of Romania. And he told him to stop talking about Jesus. And he said, he said, if you don't, we'll kill you. And he said, and you'll send me to heaven. The only thing you can punish me and threaten me with is heaven. You're going to have to do better than that there, boss, because I, you know, I, I just, my life, my time, I've gotten to a place where my life, you know, in a healthy place, a person could get to a place where they feel like my life, my body, my time, my stuff, I don't, it's not even mine anymore. Because love has won my heart. And all I care about is loving him and being his. And it said that they overcame because they loved not their life unto death. I don't really care about anything down here. All I care about is belonging to him. And I'm not afraid of losing anything because it doesn't belong to me anymore. Love has won it all. And in a super healthy place, I would want to be a person who wakes up in the morning and said, and says, good morning, your majesty, and my very, very best friend. What do you want from me today? And it says right there in the middle of Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, that they overcame by the blood of the lamb my sin had become his. And they overcame because they loved not their life unto death. My life has become his. And they overcame by the word of their testimony. My story has become his. And if I ask him what um, he wants from me, if we ask him what he wants from us, that is the most consistent label or appellation or whatever you would call it of a follower of Jesus in the book of Revelation. We are here 
to be faithful witnesses. In chapter one, he said Jesus was a faithful witness. In chapter two, one, John said he was a faithful witness. Chapter two, he talked about Antipas, who died because he was a faithful witness. And he talked about those in heaven and those on the earth. All he's asking us to be is a faithful witness to tell people about the one. I mean, what else am I gonna talk to people about? I've given my life to him. Love has won my heart. All I wanna talk about is him. All I wanna talk about is the adventure that we live and the life that we have together and what he means to me and what he does for me. And I, one, I, I think that one of the reasons why, so one, I was reading a book and one person said, like Christians should be the people that are never really afraid of anything. But evangelicals in America are the most fearful demographic of anybody in the United States. And they said if anybody runs for anything and wants to win the evangelical vote, all they have to do is give them something to be afraid of. They're coming here. Those people are coming here. They're going to take over our country. We were here first, which is super not true. But, but um, and the reason that evangelicals are so fearful is they literally don't know what they're on earth to do. What on earth am I supposed to be doing here? I'm not here to protect anything. I'm not here to fight anyone. I am here to be a witness. I'm not here to be afraid. I'm here to be a witness and, and tell people about what Jesus has meant to me and what Jesus means to me and what our life is like together. And nobody is really gonna call me on the witness stand so that I can talk to them about that unless they want me to. And nobody's gonna want to know about my life with him unless I care for them, unless I love them and care for them so that one day they might ask me to share with them. And I believe with all of my heart that that is what we are on this earth to do. To love as many people as an individual person possibly can. To know as many people as I possibly can. To care about them. People who are not like me. People who are different than me. To just love them and be friends with them and care about them so that there might be an opportunity for me to tell them, can I tell you what Jesus has done for me? Can I talk to you about my adventure with him? Can I tell you what, what, what it's like to have him? Wouldn't you like to have him? I, we're here to love and to care and to share and to talk about the adventure that we live with him. And one thing that I have found in my life that happens is that when you're sharing with someone, when you're sitting on the bed by a person who is dying of AIDS, who has become a sweet friend to you, and you're able to talk to him about the adventure that you live with Jesus and who he, and when you're, and when you're in a room full of guys, and I never ever want to know why guys are in prison. I, I don't want to, because they're either a new person in Christ, so it doesn't matter anymore, or they're on their way there, so I don't want to know about it. I just don't want to know. But at one time, I was in a room with, with about 18 guys, and they just started talking about it. And they had done so, lots, of, lots of stuff. And the Spirit of God said to my heart, are you okay there, buddy? And I was like, 
You know, I think I'm okay, you know. But, uh, but just to be able to share with them that they could know that they're forgiven of everything they've ever done, do, or will do. And they get to be a kid again. And they have a friend in that awful place that they can call on. And he'll help them. And to, and to be like in a room, like on a Wednesday night, when we go the third Wednesday night of the month, and you have a hundred guys in there. And there are Latino guys and African-American guys and white guys all together. And they're... And they're in there. They could be playing softball. They could be out on the rec yard. They could be watching TV. But they're in there because they want to hear what you have to say. And you tell them about Jesus and who he is to you and how I know and how they can know and how a lot of them do know that they can be completely forgiven of everything they've ever done to or will do. They can be a kid again. God can be their dad to them. They can have a, a best friend they could call on at any time. And I think, what an awesome, it's the only message that would work in there. What an awesome message we have. The more I think about it, the less afraid I become. I am overcoming by the blood of the when I needed rescue out of deep, deep waters There you were When I called out to you after running farther There you were You're Oh
你。